What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin. So many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help, as food banks like the Ozarks Food Harvest here in my town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. You can always follow me on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. All of those links are in the show notes for you. This week, we are joined by author Wendy Beasley, who is currently on a virtual tour for her recent novel, Beasts and Butterflies. Wendy has written nonfiction for most of her life, but has recently transitioned into writing fiction. Wendy joins us today to share her journey as a writer, along with some insights into what readers can expect from Beasts and Butterflies. We had a great conversation, so let's get over to it. Welcome to the Walk Show podcast, Wendy Beasley. How are you doing this evening? I'm fine, thank you, Walker, and thank you for having me on here. Yeah, really excited to have you. Um, you're actually uh, promoting your book, Beasts and Butterflies, uh, as part of a virtual book tour put on by Book and Wine Lovers. Um, so really excited to, to be a part of that. Um, so, Wendy, you've been a writer for uh, really a, most of your your adult life. Is that right? Yes, probably even before that. I was writing Ponies in the Forest when I was 12. So um, I have only to date had published um, nonfiction um, until I started the fiction in the beginning of 2020. I'd written books and columns on dog-related topics for magazines and um, all sorts. And so had stuck very firmly to accuracy and uh, making sure that reports were actually as they happened. And suddenly I discovered fiction and I could make anything happen. <laughs> it's so much more fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know, to, to go back to, to your childhood when you're writing, you know, the, the, the stories as a kid, obviously not being published or anything, not professionally, but what was your, your childhood like? Did yeah. you, was your family creative in this way? Were they writers? Like, how did you f discover this passion of yours? Well, my mum was a storyteller, not a writer by any means, but she could tell stories. She could make them up. Or if she read a story to me, it came to life because she'd do all the voices. And uh, she really inspired me to read um, because she introduced me to the world of fantasy. And uh, and that led me down the path of wanting to create my own, really. Um, and I think um, I had a very, very happy childhood and uh, was, you know, very lucky, but used to be absolutely pony mad, horse mad. So everything was related to horses. And I wrote stories about horses and and had horses. And, and that was my passion as a child. As an adult, that sort of changed to dogs. They're cheaper and easier to keep indoors. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so um, I would say I came from an inventive household, if not a, a written one. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, um, you know, obviously, you, you as a child are kind of writing fiction things and, and then transition into to writing nonfiction about dogs. But then since then, since transitioning out of nonfiction writing, you've published both Beasts and Butterflies, which again is, is kind of the book you're out talking about now, but then also a, a children's book, uh, Charlotte and the Fairies. Um, so you've really kind of 
approach the whole breadth of of being an author, right? Yes. And I love that side of it. I have actually written for really fairy stories, fantasy for little children, whereas Beasts and Butterflies is far from a fairy tale and quite deep and dark. And the the freedom of being able to go from one to the other is amazing. Um, I, I write from a different perspective to most people in that I write as if I'm telling myself a story. So I don't have written notes or things where I know the answers or what's going to happen. It develops as I write. Both the children's and the adults start with an idea and it develops. And so I don't know the ending until I get to it. And I find that the most exciting part of writing, that it it just evolves as I write. And it's so much... um, of fairy tales is about fantasy. And so I can make anything happen in that. That's really a free writing experience. And since I've written Charlotte and the Fairies, I've written a follow-up called Charlotte, the Fairies and the Monster. Hasn't yet been published, but hopefully it will soon. And, uh, and I've written another adult book. So they're all waiting in the wings. <laughs> Well, so that's really fascinating that you bring up your writing process, because that's something I was going to ask you about. I'm always interested when I talk to to authors and really just creative people in general, what that looks like, because I think to people who aren't familiar with the creative process, you know, we imagine uh, I'm putting myself in the group of people that are not creative. Um <laughs> We imagine that, yeah, you just have the whole story in your head. And and what I found in talking to writers is that's very rarely the case. So, you know, you described that that you're kind of discovering the story yourself as you write it. What does that process actually look like? Are you doing, do you do like free writing exercises? Do you have like a a start, middle and end? Or what does that really look like in, in as far as an actual kind of nuts and bolts practice? I think when I start, I have a character to which something happens. Um, That's my initial idea. I have a character, a strong character, and something happens. And then I develop that as if this happened, what would follow? And ideas come to me in strange places. I might be walking the dogs. I, I might literally be having a bath or very often I've just woken up in the morning and it will enter my head ah now this should happen or that should happen and I don't draft it out I write on a daily basis when I'm writing a book and I sit there and I try and certainly with Beasts and Butterflies which is written in the right in the first person I find it much easier to imagine myself in that position and think about what I would do, how I would feel. And that's really how it develops. It doesn't, it doesn't develop in notes or handwritten pieces. It develops in ideas. And when I've got an idea, my person who edits it will tell you, I don't even stop for punctuation. <laughs> I just hammer away at the keyboard getting the idea down. And then think about how I might like to punctuate it later. <laughs> yeah, no, that 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 that's awesome. Um, like I said, it's just always fascinating for me to hear what that process looks like because it's um, 
I don't know, in the, the modern world of computing and everything is quantified and everything is a math problem, right? And everything is this systemized thing. And when it comes to to, to writing, especially, and, and I, again, I think creating things in general, um, it's not that formulaic. And I think there's a lot of beauty in that. Even the order of um, beasts and butterflies changed because the opening scene was originally in the middle of the book. Um and it just came to me that the opening scene was strong and should begin the book to, to lay the foundation of what happened. So I can actually write a book and then change the chapters around to get an order which makes more sense to me. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's I'd never even I'd never even really thought about that. But that makes sense, because uh, to your point, um it's not as if a story has to be told in perfect chronological order, right? I mean, obviously we can jump around, so it does make sense that you could, could have something from the middle start the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so beasts and butterflies um, is definitely deals with some heavy subject matter. I'm going to, I'm going to share the, the book synopsis briefly mm -hmm. with the audience, just so everyone kind of has an idea of, of what we're, what yeah. the book is about. Um, and I got this from the book and wine and wine lovers uh, group there. Um, so the, the synopsis reads raped and pregnant at 13. Rachel is forced by her uncaring adoptive parents to leave the picturesque village where she had grown up years later. She is given the opportunity to go back with her son, but can she, excuse me, but can she face her old friends, her inner demons and the rapist? And if so, will it destroy her completely? Or can she finally find the love and closure that she craves? Um, so that sounds like a, a, a fascinating tale. I haven't had the opportunity to, to read it yet myself, but um, I'm curious, you know, something, and especially it's a, a subject that's come to, to light here recently in, in, in modern, the modern time. Uh, and I think it's good that there's being a light shed on it so we can eliminate it. But sexual assault is a very heavy topic. Did you, did, did you find it challenging at all to write about something that that's so, that's so dark? I mean, to me, that's the most reprehensible crime <laughs> that a person could, could commit. Indeed. I think I think it's important that people see it as a personal thing to a person rather than a crime, as you say, but the effect of the crime on the victim and also the ability of the victim to recover, to be strong, to come through it. And I I don't I didn't want Rachel to be downtrodden and have no way up. I wanted her to go to the depths and then prove her strength. And it's all about really the strength of Rachel and what happens around her and uh, also her friends. And um, it's very much a case of recovery. It's a story of recovery from a terrible start to hopefully a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's I think that's really like, as you said, that, that that's a, a very powerful and important message. And I think one um, that, yeah, absolutely is something that needs to be out that that a what the like you said, what the effect is, but then also that people are resilient and that people do overcome um, these, you know, sometimes truly horrific events. But that doesn't that one event doesn't have to define or shape who they are indefinitely that's very much how i wanted it to come across something that that you know you had touched on is you know when you're writing nonfiction, of course it's all very 
um, rigorous as far as, you know, you're trying to make sure that the facts are, are there. And in fiction, there's a bit more uh, freedom um, because you're creating the story. And so while that's true for the events that unfold because they're being created by you, at the same time, there is still um, a level of, um, I don't know what word to use, a level of accuracy that has to still be there for fiction. Like, for example, I mean, this is a silly example, but Rachel goes to the, the, the village, right? Well, in order to write about what a village or a small town would be like, you have to have some sense of how that works, right? If you if your only frame of reference was New York City or something, then <laughs> it wouldn't translate. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you if you look at, you know, if you read the book, the, the, the village is in Norfolk. I live in Norfolk and I live in a village. So they do say write about what you know. And I certainly know about Norfolk villages. And I also grew up in Essex and Rachel spends some of her time in Essex in Chelmsford. And that's where my childhood was. So I am falling back on my own knowledge, although it's not my story. It has a lot of me in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and I, you know, I had talked to another author at one point um, who was writing fiction as well, and and I had never really drawn this parallel, but she kind of described um, doing a bit of research on on topics that that she was going to include in her story that weren't you know familiar to her from her own direct experience, and it almost reminded me of the way that like a, a film or movie actor might research a a, a certain type of lifestyle or a walk of life to understand how to portray that more accurately. Do you find yourself doing any of that sort of stuff for, for the fiction work? Well, certainly the book I've just completed, which hasn't yet been published, <clears throat> and is, uh, tells the story of a girl in, in Brighton, in Sussex. Now, I was born in Brighton, but I left there when I was nine, and there was a lot of references to the university, to the museum to the beach as it is now, none of which can I clearly remember. So I spent a lot of time on the telephone, couldn't go, it was COVID, so we couldn't go anywhere, but um, on the telephone with street maps, with um, guidebooks, and I've really spent a great deal of time researching Brighton again and what and the university and the course she was doing at the university. So yes, you do have to do your research. It has to have an an accurate background, even if the story is fantasy. <laughs> yeah, well, I just, I think that's so interesting because I think, you know, um, again, on the face of it, to, to imagine someone writing a book with no understanding of, of how that's actually done, again, from my own perspective, um, it, it again, it, you know, it seems like, oh, well, the process is, is that you're putting thoughts down onto to paper or onto a computer, I guess, <laughs> probably, but... Um, but there's actually just this whole other side to it where you're doing a lot of research and you're learning. So the writing process involves a lot more than, than just writing. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're having to do a lot of reading and research and all this stuff as well uh, to kind of facilitate the whole thing. Yeah, indeed. And, and I had no understanding of this because um, all my previous writing in the non-fiction had been things I was involved in and things I'd been to. I didn't need any research. I was there. I saw it. I reported on it. But with this new method of writing, it's incredible how much research is needed and, and things that you have to not 
um, go too deeply in because your knowledge isn't good enough. Like police um, investigations, I can touch on them, but I I can't go deeply into the police investigation because it's it's something I unknown to me. And there's ways around that. There's ways of giving an overall impression of the investigation, but you have to be careful that you're not writing beyond your knowledge. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I mean, you know, I think also, I mean, if if you, if the novel or the story you were trying to tell really centered on the police work, then perhaps you know, then perhaps you could do the research to to get that. But that's not really. The central theme of the book is not no, no, <laughs> how the police department operates. <laughs> no, indeed not. that you know these the stories you're writing are, are not your own stories yet obviously contain a, a lot of your own experiences and insights and, and and writing in the first person you're kind of putting your own trying to put your own self in the shoes of these characters that you're creating um do you find that the writing is 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 therapeutic for you at all even though it's not directly about your own experience do you find it's um cathartic in a way well i wouldn't say cathartic but it is incredibly satisfying it is it gives you a great sense of worth yeah I'm retired I didn't start up writing until I mean I'm in the third decade very much so so I could have retired and done nothing and yet I have a sense of purpose I'm driven I I get up every morning and I write and I feel compelled to write and at the end of the day I feel satisfied with a job well done or I'm pondering about how I could have done it better. Now, at my age, at my time of life, it would be very easy not to do any of that and just, I don't know, walk or garden or something. But this gives me a sense of worth, a sense of purpose, and it's like a job. And I find that very satisfying. Yeah, I think that's I think that's so inspiring, and I, I'm uh, I'm so happy that you shared that because I think that, I mean, certainly it, it could be understandable for a person to feel like you know uh, maybe uninspired, um, you know, after retirement. But I think it sets in for a lot of people even earlier than that, um, and I think it's really important for people to understand and hear that it's not there is not an age limit to starting things or to pursuing things. Um, I, I had an author on here recently 
who wrote his first book when he was 54 years old. And he had written articles and things like that prior to, but had no real book writing experience, whether it be fiction or nonfiction. Um, and then, you know, started it at, at 54. And I just think that's super, super inspiring uh, and, and love to, to share that. Well, I could beat him because I'm 72. <laughs> and that's my first book. <laughs> so, so that's one up to me. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, there you go. I'll email him as soon as we're done and let him know you've been dethroned. Yeah. Yeah, tell him he's not got the record. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. Um, lots of people ask me why I chose to write in the first person. And I've done it again for my second novel. And I thought about it and I really think that it's so much more difficult to get in someone's mind if you're not them. But if you can be them, even for a short period, what they're thinking and feeling comes very naturally. And that's why I write in the first verse. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I've, I've read a few books that, that are written in the first person in that way. Um, and I do think you're right that it lends itself for the reader to be able to feel a much stronger connection to the way the character's feeling. And not only because they're in their own head, but obviously the character only knows what the character knows. And so if the reader is reading in that first person view, they also kind of have the same understanding that the character does. Um, so the story unfolds for the reader and the character almost simultaneously. Yes, I think that's the case. And uh, it also allows you a greater freedom of emotion, I think, than you would have if you were writing it in the third person. It it makes, hopefully, makes the reader feel as well as read. Yeah, you know, something that I think is so interesting about um, reading, and I, I've, I've said this before on the show, so long-time listeners will, will, <laughs> will be familiar with my idea here, and it's not that it's profound to, to me or it's my idea even, but anyway... Just that, you know, I used to always think of reading as kind of a, a passive activity, right? There's words on a page, you look at it, you absorb it, um, much in the same way you watch a movie and, you know, things happen on the screen and you absorb it. But then as I read more and more, I found that, that with writing that really engaged me, it was actually a much more active process where the writer provides, you know, context, they provide obviously plot points and things that are happening, but then I, as the reader, am maybe filling in some of the details myself about maybe what an exact scene looks like or the, the way someone's dressed, because maybe that's not explicitly stated. And the more that I am kind of participating as the reader, the more engaged I'm, I am. Um, does that make sense at all? Is that something that resonates with you? It does indeed. Well, you're taking it back to my very early years of being read to, and you when you're read to, unless it's pictures are shown to you, when, when you're having a story read to you, you make your own pictures in your own mind. And I think that is a more exciting way of reading. When I write, I'm often told that I'm not particularly descriptive. I, I set the scene, I say where we are, but I don't spend hours on saying, and there was a, a babbling brook and a overhanging willow and, and somebody was wearing a green dress. Because to me, it's unimportant. It's there for the reader to fill in themselves. I think that it draws the reader in. They make the scene. You give the outline. They fill in the colour. And 
I think that's so much more exciting way of reading than having it all spelled out to you and you know exactly what it looks like. And I guarantee that if several people discussed a book afterwards, they would all have different pictures in their heads and that's what's great about reading. Yeah, I, that's so awesome to hear you say that. I agree uh, 100% with that approach to to, to writing. Um, I've read books before where they do exactly the example you gave where they say, oh, and then this person's dress was colored this way and their shoes were made of this fabric. And And as the reader, I'm like, oh, there's probably going to be like a murder later and they'll find the blue and green dress and the velvet shoes. Nope, that yeah. never happens. And so then it's irrelevant. And now it's like, no yeah, point. why did I Why did I have to yeah. know that then? Um. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I do skip big descriptive paragraphs in books. You know, once it starts going into too deep a description, I don't want that. I want the story. I'll, I'll make the description in my own head, but I just want to know the story. Yes. And so that's how I write. I write the story. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I think that's, I mean, again, not that I'm an authority or a judge of writing officially in any capacity, but as a fan, that's the kind of writing I like. So that's, that's really awesome. Um, so you talked about how when you start writing, you know, you, you kind of have characters um, is, is kind of the starting point for that. Usually how attached do you get to the characters or do you find yourself thinking about the characters even after you've completed the story? I do think <clears throat> I, I read um, for myself. I always tend to read series. So one book leads to another book leads to another book, but I only write standalones because my characters end at the end of the book. And so, no, I don't carry them forward. I think it would probably be far more beneficial and probably more for profitable if I did. But it's their story at that time and it happens and it has a conclusion. And I would find that difficult in an adult book to go on with the character. Now, I'm not finding that difficult at all in the children's book. And so far, Charlotte and the Fairies is to be followed by Charlotte, the Fairies and the Monster. And the next tale is about the monster. So I can do it in children's books and I can keep them alive. But in the adult book, it seems I want a beginning and a conclusion. And then I am finished with the character. And then my mind is working on my next character. Hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I don't mean to, to just flatter you or something, but uh, you, you, you have such a, a, a wide range of approaches to writing with the, the different um, types of writing that you're doing, the adult books, the children's books, the nonfiction writing. So it, it, it's pretty remarkable um, you can have <laughs> so many approaches. So you mentioned that you do read a lot and that's something that I'm always, always curious about with, with writers. I, I talk to some writers that feel like reading, helps them be better writers because they're exposing themselves to the written word over and over. I talk to other authors though, who very rarely read, or if they do, it's just kind of a once in a while leisure thing. H how often do you actually find yourself reading? Well, I went through a big period of not reading at all because I always felt wrongly. I now believe that while I was reading, I could be writing and it's much more productive. Um, but then I got into one or two series of books and I'm in a series now at the moment this Dr Galloway Ruth Galloway books and I cannot wait to 
get five minutes and literally five minutes I grab a book I've got it here um I, I, while I was waiting for you I, I read a chapter so yes I do read quite avidly now and as I say it's quite an, well it's quite an eclectic mix of books I read because I've I read Scott Mariani and they're in hope books yeah well that that maybe explains explains a bit of the correlation there I read for me and and I enjoy it for me. And if other people think my tastes aren't good or are good, it's immaterial. I do it because I like it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, and certainly I'm not as nearly as accomplished as a, a podcaster as you are an author. Um, but I mean, I'm the same way when I listen to other podcasts, right? Like, certainly, I, I listen to podcasts that, that have hosts that I aspire to be similar to. But um in the end, I'm listening to something that I think is interesting. I'm not listening to it for a technical analysis of of, of the show or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too, too boring to live that way. Um, well, Wendy, you know, again, the, the, the book that, that you're, you're promoting currently is, is Beasts and Butterflies. Um, we obviously, we've talked a lot about your writing process and that sort of stuff, but is, is there anything that you would like to share about that book that we haven't touched on yet? Because um, I don't mean to, to dominate the conversation with with process questions or anything. No. <laughs> well, it's as I say, it is my first fiction. It means an awful lot. It's my baby because I didn't think I'd ever get a fiction book out there, and it has been published. I didn't self-publish. It actually was published. Um, so I'm very proud of it, and I would like it to be widely read. But I've learned in this game, and I didn't know it when I started writing, that getting books out there is very difficult. Getting people to read your books is incredibly difficult. Um, you know, how do you promote them? And I would say that Beasts and Butterflies, it's not a long book. It's not a heavy book. It's not difficult to read. But it has got a message. It has got a story. And it is about a very, well, two very strong women, a bit of romance, a bit of love, and a bit of it all comes right in the end. So if you want a, a story that is is worth the read, give it a try. That's what I'd say. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds lovely. I'm, 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 I'm eager to read it myself. Uh, and it sounds like it would just be just a perfect book for, for like a book club to, to all read together and then kind of chat about as they go through. That is my my ambition. I wish I could get book clubs and, and places to, you know, pick it up and have a look at it. Um, so far, and I, I touch wood on this, but so far the reviews have all been fantastic. I've had really, really good reviews. So I do think that if people do read it, maybe they will like it. So, But I have no way of knowing. I only wrote it. <laughs> 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 well, that's fair. Um, well, I, 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 like I said, I think it sounds terrific. And I think your approach to writing um, just sounds absolutely fantastic. And again, I don't mean that in a condescending way or something like I'm the authority on what a good writer is. But uh, everything that you've talked about just aligns with with my own taste in writing, at least. So um, well, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so the, the, the book is available on Amazon. It's available on, on Kindle, Kindle Unlimited. Uh, you can also pick it up yeah. from the publisher directly, which is Pegasus, if I'm correct. Pegasus, Mackenzie. Yes, yes. Yep. Awesome. And uh, I think I think most of the uh, Waterstones, the, the big bookshops have got it. They can get it in. So if you've got an outlet, it's worth asking. Perfect, perfect. Well, yeah, well, I'll make sure and have links in the show notes 
um, for people. Is there anywhere else you would like to direct people to, to connect with you um, at, at all? Well, I'm, I, I'm in the process of trying to have a website. I haven't got it yet. Not as easy as it looks. People can reach me on Instagram if they look me up. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll make sure and, and get a link to that as well so people can just click right on it and, and check you out there. Um, well, Wendy, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Anything else that you wanted to share before we, we wrap up? I think that's just about it. Just watch this space because the next book called Angel hopefully will be published before too long. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, again, the the book is Beasts and Butterflies. Uh, Wendy Beasley is the author and we'll have links in the show notes for you. Uh, Wendy Beasley, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Down the street we came running In Missouri without a ring Neighbors on the front porch strumming A Kool-Aid from the Dollar Tree Summer nights we would chase it With kids playing out and see Smell the brick chuckle burning A watermelon runs in dirty feet Memories of the love that you had Help you find the love that you need Memories of the love that you had Help you find a Looking back, past is future's bad. Looking back, you find the key to be free. You'll find the key to be free. You'll find the key to be free. folks well that's going to do it for the show today thank you so much again to wendy beasley for joining us really appreciated the conversation we had of course again thank you to misha for the music and as always last but not least thank you listener 
I'd also encourage you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by me and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games where we try and talk about why gaming matters. You can find Pick Up Your Sticks on any podcast platform. Again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Stay up.